this morning. We're not going to be looking at the text verse by verse, but really looking at, a, at an idea from the text. It says, Soon afterward, he, that's Jesus, went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. That's his disciples, closest twelve disciples that he called to himself. And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. And Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager. And Susanna and many others who provided for them out of their own means. And when a great crowd um, was gathering and people from town after town came to Jesus, he said in a parable, The sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along a path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it, and some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away, because it had no moisture, and some fell among thorns, and thorns grew up with it and choked it, and some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what the parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, they fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are the ones who, hearing the word, Hold fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Father, as we look at this text, I pray that you just help us <coughs> um, <laughs> to not be those who seeing don't see and hearing don't understand. Um, as Steve prayed already, help us by your Spirit um, to have a divine interaction with you and, and for your Word to come home to our hearts. And your wonderful name. Amen. All right. Raise your hand if you know who Christian Petrarca is. Not a lot of people. Wow. I thought there'd be a few more than that. Uh, raise your hand if you know who Max Gorn is. Maybe about the same. Raise your hand if you know who Nathan Jones is. Okay, slightly less. There's only like two of you wild footy fans. Okay, Christian Petrarca yesterday received the Norm Smith medal for the best player in the grand final. Who of you knew that there was an AFL grand final yesterday? (laughs) Okay, a few more. (laughs) Who of you watched the grand final? All right, well, everyone who watched the grand final uh, heard the name Christian Petrarca over and over and over while you were watching. Um, and he was best on field, best player in the grand final, received a medal for it, and will never be forgotten in history, except this morning, where he wasn't remembered. Um, Max Gorn was, is the captain of Melbourne, and received the trophy on stage with our own Lord Mayor, Basil Zemplis. Um, received the trophy, raised the trophy, and all the uh, players joined him on stage. So he captained the oldest team in AFL Melbourne 
to their most recent glory. Nathan Jones is a Melbourne footy player who didn't come to Perth. He was in Perth. After they beat Geelong, he flew straight home, uh, making the decision in that moment, knowing that he was deciding to go home, he knew he wouldn't be able to play in the grand final. Does anyone here know why he went home? Say it out loud. Now, there's, how, how can there be more people that know why he went home <laughs> than who he is? You can't say, your hand was down, Jackie. You're out. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> yes, exactly. We remember, we remember the heart details, hey, Jax? <laughs> babies. Who knows babies? <laughs> okay, so Nathan Jones went home because his wife was having twins. And so he decided to be with his wife instead of to be with his team and win a grand final. And so he won't, be, he won't get a medal, uh, even though he played all year for, for Melbourne. Um, when we think about glory, when we think about fruitfulness, when we think about success... We can define it in many ways. So for many of the players, uh, glory was winning for the first time in 57 years. For the first time in 57 years, Melbourne won the title. That's huge. They will be praised and celebrated last night. They got a pat on the back by celebrities. Um, They got to meet uh, executives. Uh, They got to meet plebs like me. Um, not, not actually me, but plebs like me, um, the, the, the lesser known uh, nobodies, and they, met, they, they just were the heroes. They're the heroes of our time. Uh, anywhere they go, they're not going to pay for a drink for weeks. Um, they're just going to be walking idols of our time. And that's a form of glory. This victory they've had is, is real. It's a, it's a real success story. It's a real victory. It's written in history. Their names will be engraved countless times in different forms and shapes. Kids are running around uh, dressed like them. Some of the worst haircuts exist (laughs) thanks to Bailey Smith. Fortunately, they lost, so we don't have to see too many pictures of that terrible hairdo and then have our children want to go and copy them. We're going to see it all over Perth because Perth was handing out free Bailey Smith haircuts. Um, If you don't know who Bailey Smith is, He's got a little bit happening on top. He's got a whole lot happening at the back, and he's got nothing happening on the sides. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it's a little bit like that ad. I don't know if you, if you watch footy. There's an ad where little kids come out looking like they're heroes. It's a great ad. Every year it comes out. And this year's ad, they had Patrick Dangerfield, who, who's he the, he's the captain of? Cats, right? Geelong. So big, big, big player, famous guy, legend. And he's watching the ad with anticipation. And he can't wait to see a kid come out looking like him. But instead, a kid comes out looking like the Irish guy in the team. And he can't believe it, and he throws his toys a little bit. Because in that moment, he's no longer the legend. He's no longer the hero. He's, he's, he's old news, and someone else is the guy. Brilliant ad. Hilarious. Um, but there's these, these, these forms of glory that we're experiencing. And Perth has formed one for... Uh, I don't know if any of you feel proud of our city. According to reporters, we've nailed the grand final. Only, you know, only us and, and last year uh, Gold, uh, Brisbane got to have one in recent history. I, I don't know if, if there's ever been one ever played outside of Melbourne besides those two. And we nailed it. Well, and I say we, and none of us here did anything about it, but it's, it's Perth. And it's like we nailed it together. We, we like the, the jewel of the Australian crown at the moment. That's a form of glory. Our, our little old Perth pulled something grand off 
and we look good. And it's kind of form, it's pri- I'm proud to be from Perth today. Um, I was texting friends in Melbourne a whole lot last night. Uh, I, people I haven't texted for a long time. <laughs> but the pride in my heart for our city and what we were pulling off reminded me of all the friends I had on the East Coast and to, to let them know where I lived. Um, that's a form of glory and pride at the same time. But there's many forms of glory. Nathan Jones picked a different form. He picked, he picked to be at home with his family. And so while people were lifting trophies and uh, confetti was raining down to, in, in their glory and praise, uh, Nathan Jones was picking up babies and uh, burps were raining down over his shoulder um, in praise of, of dad doing a good job. Very different kind of glory. Very different kind of praise. But Nathan Jones has said, post-victory, it's a decision he'll never regret. Doesn't think twice about missing the grand final. Doesn't think twice about not having a medal to sling around his neck. He's very happy that he's at home with his twin twins and his other two children, just to, to make the matter worse or better, depending on how you think of it. He's at home with four children that are very small. And the glory, can you imagine him watching his team, kids climbing all over him, burping on him, changing diapers, kids screaming, while all of his mates are raising trophies and medals and uh, champagne bottles. Very different kind of glory, but a a decision he doesn't regret. There's many forms of glory. Uh, And in the New Testament, uh, one of the ways that, that that it gets spoken about kind of success gets spoken about is bearing fruit and partly that's because it's an agrarian culture it's an analogy or a metaphor that everyone understands so if everyone's farming even today jesus could go down to margaret river and give a lot of the exactly the same examples that he gave and people down there would understand Uh, when he talks about the the vineyard i'm the vine and um, people in margaret river would totally understand exactly what jesus is talking about but us city dwellers we don't immediately get it. We don't immediately get these kind of agrarian seeds getting chucked all over the place. We, we think efficiency. So we're like, why is, why is the farmer throwing seed on the pavement? That's just <laughs> silly. You know, like, get your lines right, get a process going. Um, and we miss maybe what Jesus is, a bit of what Jesus is trying to say. And the, and the people don't really fully understand it. If you think about it, you know, they're listening to the story and then the story ends. The parable was a common way to talk. Sometimes Jesus' sermons are kind of nutted down and summarized for us and, and then delivered. But then sometimes, like a parable, it's not really nutted down. The parable is the nut, and then it's just given. So it's this kind of short story that Jesus tells and leaves people in a little bit of um, wonder of what's, what's he really getting at? What's he pointing at? And then he, t- he explains to his disciples what he means. Um, by this. So this morning, I want to just um, think about how we as Christians uh, wrestle for, in this world of competing glories, and how we can wrestle for success in our Christian lives. Um, you, if you're not a Christian here this morning, then this parable is, is saying something different to you. It's saying to you that uh, pray that God would work upon your heart and open your heart to Him, because in, in the sharing of the good news, the good news is for everyone to hear, but not everyone hears it. Not everyone receives it. Uh, it doesn't bear fruits in everyone's lives. And so pray that God would work upon your heart and that you'd be able to hear uh, Jesus' message to you, His good news for you. Um, but if you are a Christian this morning, which is most of everyone in this room, if you, you're here and you're a Christian, 
Then the question is, well, how, how can we as Christians be successful in our faith? How can we uh, go after the glory that God wants us to go after? What glory should we go after? Um, and how can we be successful in that? So there's these all sorts of arenas that we can experience glory in. Um, and I'm not sure which arena you'd prefer, you know, the babies or the trophies. Who knows? But there's plenty. There's, uh, yeah. So what sort of glory should a Christian be most interested in? And what is the road to success? That's what I, I want to look at a little bit this morning. And I wonder if we change the example, because most of us, I don't really think, I'm a terrible gardener. Um, I cut back weeds and they seem to grow fruitful. I cut back plants and they die. Uh, so I don't seem to have, what's the opposite of a green thumb? That's what I have. Um, whatever weed I touch prospers, whatever plant I touch fails. Um, and so, except succulents, they are the, the, the God's grace to our household because we can keep them alive. Um, my point is, I think for people like me, we need to change the, the example, the metaphor a little bit. And I wonder if you thought about it like this. If Jesus were to open up um, an investment firm and he is happy to be everyone's financial advisor, he's got a wide open door. And you can go and be Jesus' Jesus can be your financial advisor. He's willing to sit down with you and tell you exactly where to invest your money. Would you be willing to give him all your money? I have a resounding yes. If Jesus had an office in Perth and I could go sit there and he would be my financial advisor, I'd just say, take it all. Just let me sign. You decide. Do it. I, I trust you. I, I mean, you, Jesus, you know everything. Right? There'd be a confidence. The problem is that Jesus hasn't done that, yet by His Spirit, He has come to us, and through His Word, He's called for us to give Him our lives. And He said, invest your life in Me, and let Me teach you how to live. Let Me show you how to walk. Um, and so there is this kind of an investment into Jesus. And if we think of in, in investment terms, and how we invest our life, and the success we're going after... Then, uh, then sitting, imagine sitting with Jesus and we're thinking about investing our lives and Jesus says, well, there's these three dangers as you, as, for you Christians, there's three dangers that you need to be aware of. Three options that are probably going to come across, come across that you need to watch out for. Can you imagine that sitting? We have Jesus come and give a financial advice training over here one night and he gets up and he says, three options you need to be very careful of. We'd all take our notes out and we'd write, that, write it down, right? Watching out for, to watch out for them. So here Jesus gives very plainly three things as Christians, as we go for success, as we go for glory, as we run after Him, three things we need to watch out for. And we're going to give them three names. The first one's going to be uh, Sam the Scam. The second one's going to be the Pressure Cooker. And the third one's going to be the Promise Maker. All right. Um, so Sam the Scam, Jesus says, is where Satan... Uh, goes around looking to rob, kill, and destroy. Uh, to Cain, right at the this has been the plan right from the beginning, not, not just Adam and Eve, but then you go to Cain and it says, um, sin is crouching at your door. Uh, so, so Sam the Scam is all about sin. It's all about getting you to get your life invested in some sort of a sin. And Jesus, so, so whether it's sin crouching at your door in Genesis or Jesus saying um, in John 10, uh, Satan has come to rob, kill, and destroy. That's his goal. That's the scam. And so it's more pervasive. It works quicker. It's more destructive. 
then um, kind of uh, a Nigerian lover who uh, uh, appeals to a, a grieving widow with lots of funds looking for love. Uh, it works far worse than that, far more evil than that. Um, it, it's, it's this plan to come and to rob you of life in Jesus through the scam of sin. Um, and, and Scripture war, uh, warns us about this. Peter says, um, in 1 Peter 5, 8, he says, The devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking who he can devour. Um, so there's this like sense of be on your guard that you have, there's the scam out there that's after you, the scammer and the scam of sin. And so be, be on your guard. And what's more is you're prone to falling into it. Uh, the Jewish tradition, I think it was called the Nets of Belial, where they had these kind of three nets that could capture people's hearts. And the one was uh, fornication, avar- the second one was avarice, and the third one was uh, uh, desecrating the temple, worship. And the way that they spoke about these, and, and to kind of highlight how um, tricky it was, they would say that uh, you, there's, firstly, there's the, there's the one who's chasing you, seeking to devour you. And so you might flee in terror from them. But in fleeing in terror from them in the dark, you fall into a pit. And then climbing into, out of a pit, you, you climb out, out, out of the pit and carry on and then get caught in the trap. In other words, it's like, there's no, if you run away, you're going to fall in the pit. If you get out the pit, you're going to step in the trap. You're going to get caught one way or another. In other words, be careful. Be careful. Be, on, be alert of sin that's crouching at our door. Be alert of our hearts. Be alert of what's going on in our minds. Be alert of our affections. Be alert. Um, Judas is maybe an example of, of someone who wasn't being alert. What did Judas do? He walked with Jesus. He talked with Jesus. He ate with Jesus. He followed Jesus. From all, for all we understand, he performed the same ministry as other disciples who went out two by two as, uh, as they did. He saw Jesus do wonderful things. He heard Jesus say wonderful things. He heard this from Jesus. And yet still a moment came where Satan had uh, deceived him enough that he was willing to betray Jesus with a kiss in order that Jesus would be put to death. In our, in our legal system today, it would be like standing um, in the box in a case, in a trial, and, persecu- and, and speaking against Jesus, giving testimony against Jesus and saying, he did it. That's the one. He needs, to be, he needs the penalty of death. He gives him a kiss, betrays Jesus, and, and obviously Jesus is put to death. And, and the lie, the scam, when Judah, Judas realizes how he's, he's lost out, when Judas realizes the investment that he's made, that he's lost now, that it wasn't a good investment, he's put his eggs into this basket and he's experienced a complete loss, Judas, uh, there's death in his life and he goes and hangs himself. A great loss. Bad investment. Sin is not... It's not safe. It's incredibly dangerous. We need to, you know, the biblical examples, sin is crouching at your door. It wants to pounce on you. It doesn't want to come in like a puppy and lick you. It wants to, like a wolf, get inside and destroy you. Satan is like a lion prowling around, seeking who he can devour. He doesn't want to nibble. He doesn't want to scare 
He wants to absolutely destroy. Sin is more dangerous than you, you can anticipate. And it destroys lives. And for the Christian, we need to be careful that we don't invest our lives into, into sin, that we don't pay attention to that, and there's this danger of that. And we know stories about this, and we know our own experiences about this. And, and I imagine that people in this room have suffered great loss through uh, being scammed by Satan and sin in their lives. Um, the second one is the pressure cooker. Um, Jesus says that there's uh, this, this persecution that comes in the world, that, that uh, following him is going to be tough. Jesus guarantees that following him is going to be tough in the, in the New Testament. Um, he kind of guarantees that in this world, if you're following him, you're not going to get the kind of praise and glory that Petrarca and Gorn got last night. You're going to be a little bit more like Jones, where people are a bit confused, like, you know, you've got those twins forever, but you only got that one shot, like, what, what, what were you? That kind of like, oh, I don't know, I guess you could get the right to choose whatever you want, but that was probably a bad choice. Uh, this is kind of this guarantee that if you want the, the kind of success and glory and praise uh, from, from the world, you're walking with Jesus, you're not going to get it. Um, you, you're going to kind of get the life that doesn't look successful and, and glorious and praise. And so there's going to be like pressure. This, this investment into Jesus is, there's, there's this other thing that's going to say, invest here. What could it be? It could be friendships. Invest here. It could be family. Invest here. It, it could be uh, your boss, invest here, work here, that, that just can't understand the value you place on Jesus. Maybe allow some value, but not, not an ultimate sense, not a complete value on Jesus. And there's some pressure that comes in that we face in this life. And if our hearts, if we're not aware of this, if we, our hearts will stumble into this because, in a sense, we're made for glory and praise. We're made... Um, to look for that, to seek that, to desire that. Uh, God said over Adam, um, he announced that, and Eve, this, they're very good. Well, he wouldn't be wasting his words if it meant nothing to them to, for God to see them as good. It wasn't only his speaking of them, over them, from his own heart. It was also good for them to hear God's, um, you're good, this is wonderful, you're in a good place. And we need that, we, de we desire that, we seek that. And so there's a lot of persecution in our culture um, against being a Christian and, and a lot of uh, difficulty in being one. So I think maybe an example of this in, in Scripture could be Peter. Uh, Peter's walked with Jesus. He's talked with Jesus. He's the mouth of the gang often. Um, he gets in trouble. But Jesus says to Peter, uh, hey, you want to go? Everyone, a bunch of people are leaving me. You want to leave? Peter like says, No. Um, you know, like, who else has the words of life? Where else should we go? You know, he's got this great faith that's real in his heart, um, that's existent, and, and he's, like, excited about doing great things. And then um, Jesus is going on trial. It's, it's getting nighttime. It's a little bit cold. There's, like, a fire pit where people can gather and stay warm. And Peter goes there to stay warm. And this young a slave girl points her weak, petite finger at Peter and says, you're, you're one of the guys who were following that Jesus guy around. And maybe there's three or four other people who hear her say that. 
And Peter goes, no, uh-uh, nope, not me. I wasn't with him. Peter's seen Jesus raise the dead, literally. He's seen him do miracles. He's seen him preach the gospel. He's heard Jesus say, watch out. And yet sitting there in a moment of persecution, hey, you're with him. Peter fears for his life and dis- distances and goes, no, I'm not. I'm not with him. And he separates himself. He rejects Jesus. And under persecution, this is something we can do. We can, at work or amongst family or friends, we can do what's necessary to kind of blend in, to go unnoticed. Maybe, uh, maybe we, we don't go as far. Maybe we know it's wrong to go as far as being like the world. But we go far enough away from being identified as different. And we find this kind of gray neutral zone where we can kind of fit in. Do you know what I mean? Some of you do. Some of you are like this. I mean, let me just say this. As I look at this, I feel like I'm every single one of them. I feel like I've invested my life in every one of these faulty things. So maybe you're better investors. You probably are. But they're, they're real. They're dangerous. And the problem is they ruin fruit. So in the first case, Jesus says, what, what happens when Satan gets hold of you is you, you, you lose your faith completely. The faith that you were running with, it's, it's just nullified. It's gone. This one is a little bit different. It starts to make a, it starts to make a way, but, but it soon runs dry. And then, um, so, so I think Peter's an example of one. Then there's the promise maker. So uh, this last investment to watch out for is, is a, little bit, it's a little bit more dangerous because it's like a conservative. We know, to, we know not to overinvest in high-risk investments, right? I don't know a lot about investing, but I know that. Like, don't put all your eggs in a high-risk investment. It's a bit like gambling. Is that correct? Ne- never mind. The financial, those may, may want to give me better advice afterwards. But what I do know is that uh, it is quite wise to invest in conservative uh, options. And, and the promise maker comes across as a conservative option, as something which is good. So if the first, the first one is just blatant sin, and yet we still stumble into it and it, it robs us, and the second one is more persecution, it is persecution, and it's, it's how we are willing to identify Jesus in our lives, um, in, the world, in the real world, who is Jesus to us in the real world. Then the third one is really good things. Like, not looks like good things. They are good things. But they take a priority in our life above Jesus. And that's where it becomes a problem, is these good things become ultimate things in our lives. And uh, things, and I don't want to name them because I'm nervous of making good things seem like bad things, but, but... Let's name some so that we know that they're good things. Family is a good thing. A job is a good thing. Um, Relationships are good things. Vacations are good things. Rest is a good thing. Having fun is a good thing. We can keep going on and on and on. These are good things. But when we overinvest in them, we end up losing the ultimate thing. So then... It's actually a loss. That, and that's, how, that's, that's kind of what, what happens here is even though you may end up, um, 
let's say, with the best friends of all time. Well, in that process, you might lose the best friend of all time. And even though you may end up with the tightest family of all time, you may miss out on experiencing the greatest family of all time, your identity in God's family. Or even though you may love your job and be willing to do 80 hours a week because it's just the greatest job of all time, you may lose out on what God has made you for, for the, in, your, in your time you have on earth. So you miss the ultimate thing while you might be enjoying a good thing because we made that, that kind of this ultimate. And so the problem with the good things is that they, they come and they take the place of God subtly, subtly. They come in and subtly but pervasively they take the place and they make the promise that over a long period of time they will uh, bear fruit. But actually, and that's the problem, is it takes a while to see, but after a while we come to see that all those good things we've invested in haven't given us the return they promised, and now we've lost on the great one, where we should have put our time and attention, and we should have placed our affections, and we should have placed our primary identity, and we should be husbanding from our place with Jesus, rather than husbanding you know, my marriage is ultimate. Or fathering, or working, or friending, or resting. I think in a way, an example of this, as I thought about, is maybe Simon in Acts 8. You know, trying to find co- some concrete examples. Simon was a magician, and then he became a Christian. He got saved, and he got saved out of, <laughs> you can imagine, how that ruined his career. Uh, he's working with magic and evil spirits and he's doing all these things and then he becomes a Christian in Jesus his career is destroyed he's got uh, no career and then he sees uh, the disciples Peter and them the apostles um, performing these miracles that he never managed to perform and he um, says to them hey how can I buy this from you he sees a new career opportunity who wouldn't invest in that I mean this is this is his this is his industry and now he just sees a better version of it. he's like give me some I'll buy let me invest in it and Simon acts, Peter actually says to Simon, he says that uh, you're in the bonds of iniquity. He's saying exactly the same as Jesus says about the thorns that grow up. They choke out the fruit. It happens slowly, but the fruit begins to grow. But then it gets choked out slowly and ends up not being fruitful. He says you're in the bonds of iniquity. What, what that means is that there's these chains of sin that are tightening around you, Simon, around your heart. And actually, this desire, this longing that you have, it's actually going to destroy your faith, Simon. And what next verse, what is Simon? I mean, us who've come from more charismatic backgrounds, or you, you know how we might have read that verse? I, I don't know. It's too late because we all know the, that verse too well. But if you were a new Christian and it's the first time you've heard that verse and you've heard about the gifts of the Spirit, you might create it. I might create an idea in my mind that Simon would look at that and go, I mean, Peter might look at that and go, Simon, my friend. You don't have to pay anything for this. I mean, the Holy Spirit is given to all people. You just pray for the gifts. Pray for the gifts that build up the church. Pray. If you want to do miracles, Simon, just pray. Just pray that God would give you the gift of healing. Or the, just pray for it. You know, that's maybe where we'd go. Peter rebukes the devil out of him. Simon, there's a longing in your heart that will destroy you. There is something you want more than Jesus, and it will kill you. 
And what does Simon say? Peter, please pray for me. Simon sees his dependence. He's forgotten his dependency on Christ and he's depending on this new industry, this new way of doing miracles and signs and wonders. His dependency has shifted to, it's a wonderful thing that Peter and them were doing. Liberating people, preaching the good news, bringing people to wonderful freedom in Jesus. Simon started longing for, for it for a wrong reason, a wrong glory, a good thing. He wanted a good thing for a bad reason. And Peter rebukes the devil out of him and they have a prayer meeting, an instant prayer meeting. Peter brings him back to Jesus, back to dependency on Jesus. It's so easy for us to, our hearts, it's so easy for me to depend on good things. And we have to discern our hearts. Do our hearts long for things that are not Jesus? They may be things from Jesus. All the miracles and wonders that the apostles were doing were because of Jesus, because of the power of the Spirit. But it wasn't ultimately Jesus that was the longing of the heart. It, it, was, it was things that come from Him. Do we know what's going on in our hearts? Do we know what's going on in our minds? Jesus says, um, of this one, He says that there's certain worries of the world, uh, that the cares of the world and the pleasures of life choke this type of fruitfulness out. These good things in the world, they're real things. In a way, it's, it's like this. If you worry, and I do, if you worry, it's because you're vulnerable or you think you're vulnerable. If you worry about or, or you, you, you have this longing for riches, it's because ultimately you're, you're financially insecure or you feel like you're poor, you need more. You don't have enough. Or if you uh, need comfort or pleasure, you have this pursuit of comfort and pleasure. What's the, I need to make memory. I need to do a thing. I need, my life needs to have some sort of uh, pleasure or comfort element in it to give meaning and, and identity. Um, then it shows that there's not contentment, that there's a discontentment. And, and these are dangerous because Jesus has promised to give all of those in Him. He says, don't worry because your Father will provide. And Jesus is, is uh, the good news is that there's no need to worry about that or to, to uh, worry about riches or to have a need for all these other things, go pursuing pleasure or comfort, because Jesus says it will all be found in me. It will be totally satisfied in me. Invest your life in me and I will provide uh, everything you need. And so actually the, those worries or concerns or those longings prove the investment is not in Jesus, it's still in something else. And that something else is dangerous. It's, it's, going to, it's going to prove a loss over time. And the loss is going to be felt mostly in our relationship with Jesus. And ultimately our lives won't bear the fruit that we desire or, or that Christ desires. So those are three things to worry about. As, we, as I draw this towards the ending, let's look at how we can invest your life in Jesus. So how do we keep invest our lives? If we go, okay, if those are the three things to be aware of. Avoid the avoid Sam the scam. Uh, I, I forget what the other uh, the promise. What what are the other two? The pressure cooker, persecution. Avoid those. Avoid the promise maker. The good things becoming ultimate things in our lives that choke out fruitfulness. How do we actually <laughs> pursue success? How do we actually pursue being fruitful? Three ways. Jesus says, keep regular appointments, accept your need and his counsel, and be patient. If we look at verse. Uh, 15, 
As for the good soil, there are those who, hearing the word, that's the first thing, we need to have regular appointments. We need to just hear the Lord. If you had a financial advisor who was willing to meet with you often, would you be, and, and, and every time he had his will in your life, you, you uh, incurred a profit, you, 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 he's just good for you, would you meet up with him if he said, hey, I'd love to have regular meetings with you. I'd love to talk to you about your life and where you can invest yourself. Okay, thanks. What do I do to deserve a guy like you? Or girl. And Jesus says, um, one of the ways that you, you move towards fruitfulness is that you need to hear the word. Make regular appointments. Have regular appointments. We don't read the Bible and pray and go to church so that we um, can be sure that we're better Christians or good Christians. We do because we want to invest ourselves in Jesus. We want to hear Him speak. He's made these, uh, these gracious ways open to encountering Him. And He's opened up the door. He's opened up His office and said, Come. Come to me. Come and be with me. Come and meet with me. Come amongst my people. It's interesting to me. I know a couple who are in ministry, church ministry, like, like me, pastor. Uh, and I remember them saying to me once, We don't really need people. And I, I, couldn't, I couldn't quite figure out why that was alarming to me. And the conversation just moved on. But, but I never forgot what they said. We don't really need people. We kind of do what we do because it's obedient to Jesus. I mean, he's a pastor of a church. So it's like, you know, I'm doing that for Jesus. But I don't really need people in my life. Oh, right. Okay, that, that sounds alarming. But I, I think that's wrong. But anyway, today they, they unsurprisingly are divorced and neither one of them are serving the Lord in, in any way. We do. We, we actually do, to bear fruit, we actually do need each other. We actually do need God's Word in our hearts. We, we actually do need to bring our prayers before the Lord, to lay our hearts before Him, to find His heart for us. We, we actually do need to make supplication. We actually do need to just open our lives and be honest with Jesus. We actually do need to repent and go, Jesus, I feel sin crouching at my door, and, and I want to open up the door to it. I need you, Jesus. We actually do need to go, Jesus, I see these losses. Where I've invested affections and time and, and, and thoughts. Jesus, I, I need you. Jesus says the door's open, come. Let's have a regular appointment. David had a regular appointment with his uh, life advisor. He says, early in the morning I rise, I lay my requests before you and wait. Every morning, before he went and met with anyone else, as the king of the nation, he could meet with anyone he wants. Before he went and met with any of his advisors or counselors, early in the morning I rise, I lay my requests before you and wait. I'm going to go meet my life advisor first and go hear from him. Keep regular appointments. Number two, accept your need and his counsel. It's, uh, Jesus says, hold it fast, hold his word fast in an honest and good heart. That's receiving what Jesus tells us and teaches us with humility. It's going to rub us the wrong way sometimes. It's going to go against cultural wisdom at other times. It's not always going to be what we want to hear. But there's a humble heart that goes, your words are the words of life. I need them in my life. And I need to submit my will to your will. And I need to submit myself to yourself. 
And the Word of God, God's will, uh, the gospel, the good news works upon us when there's this humility to go, I don't know what I'm doing, but you do. And to admit, you know, Jesus, I see, uh, I remember this happened to me, and I've told you many times, in 2006, seven. Jesus, I see an ungraciousness in my heart that is nothing like you. And, and your word tells me to be gracious, and I'm not gracious. How do I, help. Help. What is Jesus saying to you today? I'm not going to share with you what Jesus is saying to me today after, because it's still working through it. I'll tell you one-on-one -on -one if you want, but not like this. Jesus, I see this area of my heart, that you speak for, to bear fruit. You want to bear fruit. You want your word to come in. You want it to become Christ-like through your spirit. You want to work upon me, and my heart's not like the other. It's not like you. I need you. I say yes and amen to you, but I can't do it without you. Please let your seed Bear your fruit in my heart through your spirit. This is what Jesus is talking about. Just, this, just the goodness of a heart that's completely dependent on Jesus. Just the humility. Just be lost in needing Him. Be dependent. And then lastly, be patient. And what does Jesus say? He says, and bear fruit with patience. The grace of God. Grace, I think, is one of the most wonderful things in all the world. If I were to get a tattoo, I think I'd get one about grace. It's the most wonderful thing. I remember, a friend has a tattoo right over here somewhere. It says, grace will lead you home. I want to kind of tattoo his tattoo on my heart. It's the most wonderful thing, but it's also one of the most difficult things. As a dad, I've got four kids who are dealing with their own hearts. They're prone to disobedience. <laughs> they have bad days and good days like I do. But what they don't always do, no matter how many times I tell them obedience is straight away with a good attitude, is obedience is not always in their heart. And sometimes, uh, Rob, uh, Rob Nightingale, when he was learning to be a teacher, told me that children need to hear things 200 times before they actually hear them. <laughs> it's like, I remember when he said that, I was like, oh no, my kids were so much young, and I was like, oh God, please let that not be true. <laughs> now bear in mind, we are called God's children, which means we need to hear things sometimes from God 200 times before we actually hear them which means that whole time period between when he first told us and when we get it, God has been patient or gracious. And I find it hard sometimes to be gracious. But God never does because it's his nature to be gracious. He doesn't muster it up. It's who he is. And he gives me grace and patience to learn what I need to learn in him. And he never ties. And so as we're sitting with Jesus and learning by His Spirit, and hearing His Word, and amongst His people, uh, and as we humbly accept our need 
for Jesus, uh, the state of our hearts are shocking, and we accept that and go, God, work on me, work in me, work upon my mind, and we lay ourselves down, we don't cling to sin, we open it up and say, look at that, it's terrible, help me with it, it's in my heart. Over time, patiently, God works on us. Until one day something happens, I remember this with grace, I remember I was gracious towards someone who previously would have been frustrating to me. And I remember the shock and awe in me that, that grace came out. I knew it wasn't mine. I, I didn't know its brand. I didn't know its flavor. It wasn't like me. But I saw something of what God was to me, gracious and kind, came out a, a bit broken. Not exactly in the way that God gives it to me, but much more than I could offer this person. And I remember thinking, finally, finally, there's a little bit of fruit in the area of grace. All that God has poured into me is starting to slowly show itself a little bit. And then what happens? More God. More please. Please put more grace. Help me to see how gracious you are with me. Help me open up my eyes to see how sinful I am, how slow I am to learn. Show me how gracious you are, how patient you are. Let me see it, a little bit more of it. I probably can't handle it all. I I get too scared at how how, uh, sinful I am. Just show me more of my heart so that I can uh, understand what you've given me so that it can work upon my heart and I can, through your Spirit, give that to other people. Patience. Kindness goodness, gentleness, self-control. What, what, did it, what do you need to grow fruit in? You, you can't do it without God's Spirit working upon you. What do you first need to receive? I think it's Paul. Maybe it's Peter. Somewhere in the New Testament. I forget where. It says, walk according to the light. Says you've come into light through faith in Christ, you've come into the light. Now walk according to the light. Not so that you might be in the light, but because you are in the light, walk accordingly. And then he says, uh, like deeds of goodness. Go and do deeds of goodness. And there's this assumption, <laughs> there's this wonderful assumption that as the seed takes root in our hearts, we can aim towards fruitfulness. As kindness comes into my heart, I can see kindness towards others. As grace comes into my heart, I can see grace towards others. What kind of glory do we want? What kind of success are we looking for? Are we aware of the ways that the, the... Are we aware of the dangers to bearing fruit? Are we alert to them? Are we avoiding them? Or are we investing our lives in them? Our time, our affections, our thoughts? Or are we investing today in Jesus? Giving Him our lives, our affections, our thoughts, and seeking to bear fruit. Josh is, in a moment, going to lead us in communion. But I want to say, I suspect that all of us are kind of neither black nor white, neither completely invested in the wrong, 
nor completely invested in the right. Our lives are far messier than that. They're far more muddied than that. And by God's grace, He doesn't always allow us to see every single way and the depth in which we might be invested in uh, things that do damage. But for sure, as we walk with the Holy Spirit, there are things that He shows us, that He reveals to us, that we can respond to. And, and the line across, to take that investment out of this loss and put it into this gain in Jesus is repentance. We take it, we see it, and through the grace of repentance, we turn to Jesus and we bring back this affection or this thought or this uh, priority, and we say, Jesus, we want to put that in you. We want our, ident- our identity to be in you, and we want it invested in you. And, and we repent. And Scripture says, you know, say, you may have suffered some losses. Scripture says uh, that God can return everything that you've lost. It doesn't have to be ultimate. God can restore everything the enemy has stolen. It doesn't have to be ultimate. That's this great news. Don't, don't wallow in your losses. Repent, turn, come out of them. Let God return the losses to you. My, my heart in this way, I, I've experienced such depravity. Turn it to God. Let God restore your heart. Let God bring impurity. Let God work upon it. Let God restore what the enemy has stolen. Let God restore what's been choked out. Let God restore what's dried and died. Come across in repentance. And let Jesus, through His Spirit, speak into our lives. And through patience, we bear fruit. Why? Because the world needs a group of people identified with Jesus who look entirely different. Whose priorities, whose affections, whose lives look different. Whose marriages and families and work ethic looks different. Who are free of the stresses and the burdens and the worries of this life, not because they're naive, but because they have found someone who is more secure, who's spoken over them, who holds them, who keeps them. The world needs that. Because in seeing that, they see there's some truth to this. There's a great skeptic. I forget who it is. A great skeptic. I'll end with this and hand over to Josh. There's a great skeptic who didn't believe in Jesus, one of the great philosophers, and he would regularly go to church. I forget who the preacher was. But the question was asked, why do you go? Why do you bother? I thought you don't believe. And he said, I don't, but he does. And I need to go and hear him. I don't believe, but I can see through your life, you do. I need to be with you. I need to watch this, because there's something different about it. There's something in there. And God means for us to be a blessing to this world, to be a light on a hill. To be a place that those stuck in darkness can look to and see, there's something wonderful there. I want to go there. And when they come, what is it? Is it your community? No, it's not. Is it your pastor? It's definitely not. 
Is it your worship team? Well, they're great, but it's not them either. We'll tell you who it is. It's Jesus. It's Jesus, and His door's open to you. It's wide open to you. Will you hear Him? Let me pray.